I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. Joining me in the studio today is the Executive Director of the Delaware Symphony, Alan Jordan. Welcome, Alan. Thank you so much, Paul. It's, it's so pleasure. great to have you here. I, uh, uh, you've been on, on the air a few times before, but some really exciting things coming up in the uh, second half of your season. Uh, but for our listeners who are not as, uh, who haven't heard you in the past, tell us a little bit about yourself and you've been with the symphony now for three years. Sure. This is my third season here. I arrived uh, in the summer of 2015. Uh, I had been the executive director of the Vermont Symphony uh, based in Burlington for 16 years prior to that. And I guess what drew me uh, to Delaware was this concept of, of a state symphony. Uh, I had worked with the New Hampshire Symphony before, the, the Vermont Symphony, and it, it's, it, there are interesting challenges uh, converting an orchestra into kind of a, a road show mm-hmm. <laughs> and taking it around the state. But it, it's also very interesting to me to see how different communities are across the state, even a state as small as Delaware. I mean, it's it's a quarter the size of Vermont, but yet very diverse, and, and each community has its own interesting story behind it. Now, in your efforts to take the symphony around the state, where what are some of the other venues you've used? Uh, I believe the Grand is kind of your, your home base. We, we call that the home hall, and we've mm-hmm. been using it exclusively for our classic series since I arrived. Before that, they were actually doing some concerts in uh, suburban Wilmington and some of the, the school auditoriums. But we made this conscious decision to return all of our concerts to downtown Wilmington. The downtown actually is um, really turned around a lot just in my short time here, and I think it's continuing to develop. So we want to support that by bringing people downtown. Uh, but then we had to look elsewhere across the state for venues that are not only large enough to hold the orchestra, you got to fit up to 100 people on stage, but also a large enough audience to support the concert. And so there's limitations there. I mean, there are some wonderful smaller venues in the state, the Smyrna Opera House, the the Schwartz Center, uh, but we needed bigger than that. And fortunately, um, two high schools uh, have recently uh, built facilities um, and and they work very well for us. Last March, we did our first concert in a long time at the Dover High School Auditorium, where they're working on a fledgling arts academy for Kent County. And then uh, in September, we did a performance at Cape Henlopen High School's Auditorium. And both of these facilities are pretty much state-of-the-art. They've got great lights, they've got space, obviously. One of the nice benefits also is that they have band chairs and stands, so it's a lot of stuff that we don't have to move with us uh, from Wilmington, so it keeps us a little bit lighter. And there's kind of a built-in audience. It gives us an opportunity to do some educational outreach uh, with students at the schools. Uh, That's actually worked. We really have a good partnership going with the Dover High School and the Academy of the Arts. So, uh, so those newer facilities, the stage can accommodate the full Absolutely. orchestra. Absolutely, yes, that's, yeah. that's great. Uh, you know, there are other places that we played where, the like the, when we used to do concerts at the Tattnall School. I mean, we really bled off the stage. Some of the musicians were <laughs> literally backstage, and it, yeah. it's a great facility, um, but it was small on the stage size, and right. it only held about five hundred and fifty people, which is a small audience for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Now, in your three years. Uh, 
and, and you're you're sort of uh, trying to expose the symphony throughout the state. You, you alluded to uh, not always using the full symphony. So, what are some of the different options you've been uh, you playing with, uh, mm-hmm. literally and figuratively? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, yes, we love to take the full orchestra uh, to other venues, and that's what we did in March and September this year. Um, but in addition to the classic series, the symphony offers a four concert chamber series, and that's a combination of real chamber music, duets, trios, quartets, quintet, uh, but then we also will do one or two programs a year that feature a chamber orchestra, anywhere from 18 to 30 players, and that's a very manageable ensemble to take uh, to smaller communities where maybe you know there's just not the support for a full orchestra, or to venues that, that can won't accommodate mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the full orchestra. Uh, we actually did a program in December uh, that was a benefit for the reopening of the Schwartz Center, and we ended up using the central uh, middle school auditorium, which I believe may have been the old high school auditorium. I'm not certain about that, but it actually holds a thousand mm-hmm. people, and mm-hmm. the stage is quite quite good size. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they have challenges in that their lighting equipment I think needs some updates but it worked well for the brass quintet Mm -hmm. sitting on Mm -hmm. the front of the stage and you know when you have a brass quintet or a string quartet those are the kinds of things that you could take into churches Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. other public venues that you know wouldn't work for an orchestra Um, but I do like this concept of being a a, a road band Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and taking the music to where people want to to uh, to meet, where they traditionally have their community activities. Now, when you talk about the full orchestra, how many musicians are we talking about, and where do they come from? Sure, sure. Uh, well, we have contracted for the full season. 81 musicians. We actually have two vacancies right now. Uh, so it's 83 contracted positions. And sometimes we use them all a lot. We try to use them all all the times. Uh, but uh, sometimes the repertoire doesn't require all those players. Um, and then there are also times when we need a lot more than that. In fact, uh, the upcoming concert that we're doing in uh, the end of January features Rite of Spring by Stravinsky. And that takes fully 100 musicians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we, they even bleed off the stage at the at the grand a little mm-hmm. bit. So mm-hmm. yeah, but it, it you know there's nothing better than the full orchestral sound that you get. And Delaware is actually very fortunate. We have one of the larger string sections of any orchestra our size. I can remember a couple of years ago when uh, composer Christopher Theophanidis came and he looked and he saw eight basses mm. on stage. I mean, that's pretty extraordinary. Mm-hmm. A lot of the larger orchestras don't even carry that mm-hmm. size. Mm-hmm. And um, you have, uh, in terms of artistic quality, you, ha- you have the, the finest musicians in the in the Delaware region and, and a maestro who has uh, demonstrated great commitment. Yes, to the Delaware and, and I'm sorry, I didn't finish the answer of the first question. A lot of our musicians, we have some musicians that, that reside right here in Delaware. Mm-hmm. A good number of them come from the freelance pool that's based in Philadelphia. So they play with us, they play with the Lancaster Symphony,
Symphony, the Kennett Square Symphony, uh, the, uh, the orchestras in Reading, and, mm-hmm. and, and then all of the freelance ensembles that are in Philadelphia, Chamber Orchestra of Philadelphia, the ballet, the opera. Uh, some of them uh, substitute with the Philly Orchestra. We also draw from elsewhere, though. <coughs> Our principal trombonist actually comes up from outside of Dallas, Texas. Wow. And we have a couple of musicians that come up from the Washington, D.C. area. Several of them are New York City-based. Delaware, as a lot of people know, is very fortunate in its location, mm-hmm. um, you know, being kind of midway between New York and and uh, Washington, D.C. And we can even draw from up into New England, where freelance musicians, there are plenty of freelance mm-hmm. musicians, and they're willing to travel. Uh, with David Amato, the orchestra's been terribly fortunate to have him. This is now his 14th season, so a big, big year next year for him. Um, and we share him with the, uh, a smaller orchestra down in Florida. He does some concerts down there during the snowbird season, mm-hmm. in the, it's the Vero Beach, Fort Pierce area. Um, but he also splits his time, uh, he has a house up in Maine, and he likes spending time there as kind of a getaway and you know uh, his ability to kind of study things. So uh, David's been such a, a wonderful asset for the orchestra. He was here through the difficult financial times, mm-hmm. now five years ago. Uh, he stuck with it when he could have just said, uh, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And he and a really stalwart group of volunteers made it possible so that this orchestra could, t- could continue. And now we're in our 112th, 112th season this year. Which really is amazing. And, and am I right that the symphony originated kind of as a uh, community orchestra of, I want to say, DuPont employees? Yes, yes. Uh, the, the, the start of the orchestra was through Alfred I. DuPont, okay. who formed a group. He, he studied music. He fancied himself as a composer and played a number of instruments. He formed a group mostly of, of, of employees, DuPont employees, but also some local doctors and other business people. And it was called the Tankapanicum Orchestra. Hmm. And it was formed in 19... Well, it was formed earlier than 1906. Um, but then the next iteration and where we kind of see as our birth time, it was in 1906. It uh, The orchestra kind of came and went on a few occasions, but it kind of kept on going throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, it became the Wilmington Symphony Society, then the Wilmington Orchestra. And then it wasn't until 1971 when they changed the name to the Delaware Symphony. Mm-hmm. And that's what we know it now. Interesting. Well, with such a long and rich history, uh, could you speak to the role of the symphony orchestra in today's cultural scene? Well, it's, it's, it's an evolving uh, situation. Uh, certainly my career, I've been here doing this for about 30 years now. Um, I think what has happened in recent years is that orchestras have realized that their primary purpose is to serve their community. It's not, yes, we all want to make great music and we want to bring jobs to the community and employ musicians, but the top priority really is serving the community. And that has orchestras rethinking how they do business. Um, It's important to present the masterworks and perpetuate the the canon of repertoire. I I take that as a a personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also means 
connecting with all segments of the community. And this is a challenge that we face here in Delaware and lots of other orchestras face. Uh, there's a perception out there uh, in some that we are primarily for a certain segment of the community mm-hmm. and not really relevant to the other sectors of the community, but I I firmly believe Beethoven and all of classical music can be relevant to anybody. Mm -hmm. It can speak to people now as it's spoken to people for (laughs) hundreds of years. And so it's a matter of reaching into other parts of the community and communities uh, to just make sure people are aware of what we do and to make it accessible to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did change our ticket pricing scheme a couple of years ago so that now you can you can come see Rite of Spring uh, in January uh, for as little as $14. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's not out of reach. It's not much more than you pay to go see a movie or right. go bowling. Right, right. Um, um, but there's also other barriers. I mean, there's certainly transportation barriers. Mm-hmm. There's uh, these perceptual barriers that it's not part of my tradition and upbringing. Um, but we are becoming much more of a global society. Mm-hmm. And, and and I say that saying that, yes, we, we will continue to perform Beethoven. But I think that one of the things we have to do is find other ways of connecting with segments of the community where Beethoven has not been part of their lives mm-hmm. and upbringing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a challenge. It, it is, it's a matter of finding inroads into communities where we haven't, haven't uh, um, been a part before. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes a perfect segue into the next topic I w- I'd like to pursue. But first... Let me remind our listeners that you're tuned into Delaware State of the Arts here on News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. Our guest in the studio today is the Executive Director of the Delaware Symphony, Alan Jordan, talking about uh, ways to present uh, symphony. You have an upcoming collaborative uh, program at the Grand, uh, collaborative with the Grand, uh, called Video Games Live with members of the Delaware Symphony Orchestra. Let's hear about that. It sounds really <laughs> fascinating to me. Sure. Well, this really was an initiative of the folks over at the Grand. Uh, one of their artistic planners, uh, Matt Hubner, reached out to us, gosh, a long time ago, more than a year ago, saying, hey, here's an, here's an option. And would the symphony be interested in participating? And we said, sure. Um, video Games Live is something that I think uh, has been offered with orchestras and by orchestras for probably 10 years now. So this is kind of like the next iteration of it um but it's it's interesting i mean i i'm not a video gamer uh but people spend an awful lot of their lives you know (laughs) playing video games and sometimes don't realize that a lot of the sounds that they're hearing are are made by you know live musicians um that these these uh games are really well scored and the music can kind of stand on its own and so this is a presentation where the video game is going to be presented on a screen above the orchestra while the orchestra is playing the score and they can make that connection better to the live music going with with the 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 game that's happening i understand that they're going to actually have some games available in the lobby uh before the concert and during intermission Mm -hmm. it should be a fun thing and 
As far as I know, it's the first time that it's happened in Wilmington, uh, certainly in a very long time. We're looking forward to it. It's, it sounds really exciting, and it kind of reminds me of the, uh, uh, it's it's a newer iteration of that notion that so many of the classic cartoons, the Looney Tune and Warner Brothers cartoons, all had, uh, I mean, all the Bugs Bunny cartoons oh, yeah, just absolutely. had these magnificent orchestral scores, you yeah. know, Night on Bold Mountain. <laughs> all, uh, yeah, all that, and, yeah. And, and even original stuff <laughs> yeah. that was really, really quite complicated. Right. It wasn't simple, as, a, as we sometimes call football music, in right. all notes throughout. Right. Um, it, I, I think we had a family concert, I guess it was a year ago, and there was a young girl that was sitting in the audience, and first time she had actually seen a symphony orchestra. And uh, one of our board members was sitting nearby, right after the concert, she turned around over and said, so that's how it's done. Mm-hmm. So I mean, mm-hmm. it's just making that connection and helping people to see that you know there's there's a lot of actual exciting stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Usually, you right. know, if it's, whether it's a film or whether it's a video game, um, that that's part of the appeal. And I, I also think the the liveness of it, as mm-hmm. opposed to you know sitting home and listening to a CD. Mm-hmm. I mean it. It adds an element that you can't. It, some, it's a once in a lifetime act, event, right? And orchestral music is not something that was written years ago. It's it's something that is continuing to be written. I mean, ju- I just think of some of the sweeping scores of uh, John Williams, Absolutely. you know, some of his films. You know, composers these days, I think, have regained some respect and 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 interest uh, john williams is a, a great example but there are many many other composers jennifer higdon mm-hmm. uh, up mm-hmm. in up in philadelphia um they're writing great stuff and it's it they have gotten to a point where i think accessibility is one of the criteria uh because people usually listen to something once Mm -hmm. and then they move on to something else and so you really have to grab them that Mm -hmm. first time i think also putting things in context is very helpful but yeah the 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 canon continues to grow Mm -hmm. all the time and uh it, I think people, if they give the symphony a chance, they will find that it can be really a stimulating experience. And the Delaware Symphony has recently performed original compositions. <laughs> I, I, you've done Jennifer Higdon, haven't we, you? We've done Jennifer yeah, Higdon. We've participated in several uh, co-commissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're actually working right now on a possible co-commission. It's not going to happen for a number of, like 2021 mm-hmm. is when it's going to happen. But we're hoping to have the world premiere of a piece um and yes the symphony has premiered pieces we've also have a long history of uh, presenting an award annually uh it's officially to a composer or conductor but usually we've honored a composer and performed one of their works this past year it was david ludwig mm-hmm. who's a, a younger composer uh based in philadelphia uh but you know lucas foss uh um uh elliot carter uh um joseph schwantner all these people, Joan Tower, some of the real icons of uh, of orchestral music have come to Delaware and received this award, and we presented a, a mm-hmm. work of theirs. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, I, I, before we run out of time, I, I don't want to miss out on you having an opportunity to, to talk about the rest of your season, the classic series, the classics series, as well as the chamber series. Sure, yes. We've got a lot of great stuff happening in the beginning of uh, 2018. I think we're all looking forward to the concert on January 26th, which will feature uh, Stravinsky's 
monumental rite of spring. <laughs> and I, I, speaking for myself, I mean, I know rite of spring from Fantasia. I mean, mm-hmm. I was a kid. I watched mm-hmm. Fantasia. So I'm always thinking about dinosaurs and lava and right. stuff like that. But rite of spring was <laughs> premiered back in 2000. Or, I'm sorry, 1913. So 105 years ago now mm-hmm. uh, to literally riotous results. Yeah. I mean, it was a, a ballet mm-hmm. and and literally the, the the performance was almost halted because people were just in such an uproar, not just about the music. I mean, there are so many stories about that evening, but a lot of it, they talk about how, you know, the dancing was also very different from mm-hmm. what audiences were used to. There was mm-hmm. It was very visceral mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't as you think of a formal ballet. Right. Um, but it's grown to become one of the, the monumental pieces of the, the 20th century. And it doesn't get performed that often because you need 100 people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenging work for the orchestra. It's uh, a, a work that I think now is very accessible for audiences. We're adding a little component because there's a, a person here uh, in the area, uh, Stacy Inglis, uh, who actually has a collection of ephemera from the Ballet Russe and Diaghilev. Mm. And she's going to bring that and we're going to have it on display in the Grand Opera House so people can see that before the concert and during intermission. Second half of the program, uh, we're in the middle of a a multi-year survey of the major Beethoven orchestra works and we're presenting Elena Uriosti, wonderful violinist who's a Sphinx competition winner. Uh, She'll be doing the Beethoven Violin Concerto for the second half of that program. Um, Lots more stuff coming up in March. Uh, we have a concert featuring music by Verdi, Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto with the wonderful young artist Ryan Weiss, and then the Bartok Concerto for Orchestra. And then we close the season in May, actually just one work on the on the program. It's Mahler's Seventh Symphony. Mm-hmm. Again, a piece that is very rarely performed live. I mean, you, you can go to New York City, you can go to Philadelphia to hear it. Uh, you, you're not going to hear it in Wilmington that mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chamber Series, we have uh, two concerts remaining in February. We welcome our pianist, Laura Johnson, and uh, guest soloist, uh, uh, bass baritone Kevin Days. Uh, They're doing kind of a tribute to Martin Luther King and kind of the kickoff of a a uh, multi-event program surrounding the 1968 occupation. Um, And then in April, we're doing uh, a chamber orchestra concert uh, that features the Beethoven Fourth Symphony and the Haydn Cello Concerto. So uh, we got about 20 seconds left. Where can people find that information about your series? You can go to DelawareSymphony.org. It's spelled all out. DelawareSymphony.org. We have a brand new website and you can get all the information about the concerts and where to call for tickets. For the Classic Series, the Chamber Series, and your programs. Alan Jordan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Paul.